This podcast is made possible by Host Analytics and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Kurt Schmidt, CFO of the San Carlos Apache Tribal Gaming Enterprise, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 325. The two metrics we focus on are primarily audience-related. So we look at things like daily active users, uh, what percent of the of what percentage of the audience is repeat versus new. Uh, but that being said, we track probably dozens, if if not hundreds, of different metrics. And you know, one of my primary first objectives here is to kind of ascertain which metrics are most relevant to management and then to be able to utilize these key metrics to build a reliable financial projection for next year. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Rick Bush, CFO of Lucktastic. It's a sweepstakes company. Think of Publishers Clearinghouse on your smartphone. Rick was the former CFO of Publishers Clearinghouse, where he originally met and worked alongside one of the future founders of Lucktastic. We'll hear that story and look into the future of the sweepstakes model after these words from our sponsor. It's no secret finance professionals are dealing with some pretty complex problems these days. Now more than ever, they need tools that can help them streamline complex workflows and focus on bigger strategic issues. By bringing your finance organization together on a single cloud platform, Host Analytics automates everyday processes that would otherwise slow you down. By streamlining your planning, modeling, consolidation, reporting, and analytics, Host helps you connect your organization so you can react more quickly to changing conditions and make better business decisions to optimize performance. Let Host Analytics be your partner in leading the evolution of your business. Uh, to start off in, in public accounting, CPA exam, uh, and after uh, about five and a half years of doing public accounting work, uh, I landed a job at Ticketmaster as controller. It was it was really a, a, an interesting place to work in that when I started at Ticketmaster, uh, they were not the number one ticketing company. There was a company called Ticketron, uh, who many people of a certain age are, are familiar with, but most people uh, never even heard of Ticketron. And we walked into Ticketmaster every day, every single person with the sole mission of becoming the number one ticketing agency in the world. Uh, so you had the whole company from top to bottom, all understanding what the goal was and just trying to be better, smarter, and different than what Ticketron had in providing a better better product for our, our customers. And CEO at the time, Fred Rosen, uh, was very entrepreneurial, uh, 
knew the ins and outs of the business and always knew how much money was in the bank and how many tickets were sold uh, on a daily basis, which was a control and a practice that, that I learned pretty early in my career, and, and I still think it's critical in any business, uh, no matter the size, for the leadership to know how much money you have in the bank and what your sales were uh, the day before. Now, what I, what I found interesting about uh, your, your resume, really, is that you leave Ticketmaster, but then you come back, and you come back as a, a VP of strategy. So, you know, this is an interesting turn of events. I mean, you come back a number of years later, but you come into a strategy role. What, how did that happen? Well, Ticketmaster was a, a pretty uh, interesting place to work if you were a finance person because we had the um, ability to get involved with any aspect of the company uh, that touched money, and obviously that, that's a pretty wide, wide range. So I, was, I wasn't limited to just you know, being the guy that sat in the corner office and closed the books or prepared the financial statements. Or, you know, I, I got to learn the business. Um, and through that uh, process of learning the business and interacting with senior leadership, uh, they realized that you know, not only do you have a good or did I have a good sense of the bottom line and the economics of the business, but also how to strategically grow or run it more efficiently. So I left uh, the company uh, after about five or six years. Um, you know, the, the headquarters was based in California. I was in New York. I saw pretty limited growth opportunities for me at that time in New York. So I left, and then about a year and change later, I got a call from the CEO who, who flew to New York and said that they wanted to hire me back uh, to help um, grow a new business that they were getting involved with called Ticketmaster Direct. Now, the interesting thing about Ticketmaster Direct was that the, the goal was to leverage the inbound ticketing call to sell things other than tickets. So people would call up. They would want their New York Knicks tickets. We, would, we did a deal with Time Warner. We would sell them Sports Illustrated. If they called up for you know, the Lion King tickets, we would sell them Entertainment Weekly. So it was a very simple, uh, intelligent upsell. Uh, but if you think about it, that was kind of on the, the forefront of, of segmentation and, and giving uh, customers you know, the the type of merchandise that they would think they'd be interested in if that's the ticket that they purchased. Okay, so next you go to Publishers Clearinghouse. What do these businesses have in common? Why, you know, uh, other than being, uh, maybe is it the New York area? I'm not sure. What would you share with us as the uh, why, uh, you know, the door swung open for you at, at Publishers Clearinghouse? That's that's a great question. Um, not quite sure why uh, or what they saw in me when they hired me at Publishers Clearinghouse, but the reason that I was able to succeed in Publishers Clearinghouse and to grow from controller to VP Finance to, to CFO was that the one thing that they did have in common, both Ticketmaster and Publishers Clearinghouse, was see the, the strategic value that a a senior finance person could add to the company. So that's 
you know, again, it's not just closing the books or putting putting in a closing process to close from 10 days to five days and generate accurate financial statements. Uh, to me, that's a given. It has to be to add value to the company and think strategically and in a way that the other leaders of the company do not see as a, as a threat. So you almost have to be somewhat political in that you may want to come up with an idea how to maybe better run a department or a better contract uh, to negotiate, but you have to do it in the spirit of collaboration because you can't do it alone. I think we all sort of have this simplified notion of what Publishers Clearinghouse is. And, um, you know, what's in the back of my mind, here's another company that its business model has had to quickly evolve in the digital environment, most likely. But what would you, what would you tell us? What is the nature of that business when you joined it? And um, what's generally misunderstood about it? Yes, um, it's definitely uh, a lot more under the hood than what people anticipate uh, and think about when they think of Publishers Clearinghouse and the prize patrol and the big check. Uh, and the you know the contests and the promotions is there's a lot of data intelligence and there's a lot of um, uh, research and testing that goes into running that business. Uh, but the way it makes money is 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 kind of the old-fashioned way. They they sell things. So the you know the consumers and the audience love the opportunity to win and win money and win prizes. Um, and in, in entering these contests, they see all the great merchandise uh, offers that, that Publishers Clearinghouse has to offer to its customers. Um, and, you know, we sold a lot of merchandise uh, through the years to, uh, to the customers. You know, during the time that I was there, the company definitely diversified from just reliance on direct mail uh, to... Uh, to moving a lot of that direct mail type business to email. Uh, also during that time, there was diversification by way of acquisition as we took the brand in other directions besides just uh, selling merchandise and magazines. Uh, there's a, a digital advertising component to it. Uh, there's now a mobile component. Uh, there's a gaming component, component where you can play casual games for a chance to win. Uh, and there's a search component um, where you have a chance to uh, search uh, online and also have chances to win and get entered into the PCH uh, sweepstakes. Now, we, we want to find out what led you to Lucktastic, which I suspect uh, I know there was a, uh, a one of the founders was a former publisher's clearinghouse executive. So I suspect there was a connection uh, that was made earlier. But what would you tell us? Alex Bettencourt, uh was a ran uh, the digital group at Publishers Clearinghouse probably back, I'm guessing, ten years ago, uh, eight ten years ago, and I worked fairly closely with Alex as we you know looked at the digital side of the business and worked together to try to grow it. Uh, I liked working with Alex. I liked the way his mind worked. Uh, he ended up leaving the company and went off to form. Lucktastic with his partner Tony, and um, I just always enjoyed speaking to Alex when he worked there. And when I left uh, Publishers Clearinghouse, um, 
it was just kind of a natural that, that Alice and I would, would hopefully one day work together again. And it worked out that the former or the, the, C, the CFO at the time actually left to move closer to, to home, and uh, there was an opening. So uh, just uh, really worked out well. Okay. So um, interestingly, this is sort of uh, in the same realm in terms of sweepstakes or games. How would you characterize Lucktastic's offerings? Yeah, it's it's the same but different. Um, I guess you could say that you know any ch- any company that has chances to win could be the same, but this is this is different in the sense that. Um, you know, obviously, Publishers Clearinghouse, as you alluded to earlier, has such a big budget to spend with, you know, the U.S. Postal Service or with, you know, television and media and the big contests and sweepstakes. Uh, you know, since we're a startup, we we can't compete uh, with with that. Um, but what we've been able to carve out is a nice business that does offer uh, customers chances to win um, prizes and money. And also the ability to earn tokens, and with those tokens, after they earn uh, certain amounts, they could uh, use those to enter the contests uh, with additional contest entries, and they can earn enough tokens to redeem for a gift card from uh, a lot of different uh, name brands. I'm curious how you came to what is a more entrepreneurial uh, environment, and whether you know. Did you always have an entrepreneurial itch? Is this something new? What would you share with us in terms of your decision to to join Lucktastic? I guess it wasn't so much that I was looking uh, for a startup, although I was always somewhat intrigued when you hear about all these great startups and and how hard it is to you know I like the challenge of of the challenge and the concept of working in a startup, but I wasn't necessarily seeking. Uh, a startup company. It was just the opportunity to work again uh, with Alex uh, that really drove me to to accepting uh, the position here. And they've done a really nice job, Alex and Tony, of, of growing the company. Uh, number of staff has grown uh, doubled in the last last year. Uh, revenues uh, increased uh, year over year substantially, and you know they're building a really nice story. Find out now more about the nature of uh, what you're up to now, and we always ask this question. It's probably the best way to do it. What are the metrics that you are paying close attention to? What are those numbers that you look at before your first cup of coffee in the morning? And I suspect, this being a startup, I would think cash is something you're you're paying close attention to these days. But what would you tell us? Well, the two metrics we focus on are primarily audience related. So we look at things like daily active users, uh, what percent of the of what percentage of the audience is repeat versus new. Uh, but that being said, we track probably dozens, if if not hundreds, of different metrics. And you know, one of my primary first objectives here is to kind of ascertain which metrics are most relevant to management, and then to be able to utilize these key metrics to build a reliable financial projection for next year. You mentioned the audience. Who's using this? Who, who's like, uh, and where do they use it? Is this someone on a train platform in the morning who's just trying to be entertained and, and has, uh, you know, uh, is curious to enter some sweepstakes? What, what, are, what are they doing exactly? Exactly. You, you pretty much nailed it. It's, it's 
just a, a it's an app of which is both on the you know Android devices or or the Apple devices, and it's just for people trying to have some fun, kill some time, and you know maybe enter some sweepstakes, win some money, or earn some tokens that they can redeem for gift cards. But it's it's just a simple, easy experience where, as you say, people could be waiting on the train platform, they could be watching TV and see, you know, watch, don't want to watch the commercials, uh, just killing some time, killing some time in the doctor's office, just going to play Luck-tastic. We always, this is sort of one of these anchor questions, we want to know what a, a finance strategic moment that you might have had in the past, and by that we simply mean Given your lines of sight into the organization in finance, you're able to identify maybe it's a risk, maybe it's an opportunity, whatever it may have been. Can you share a, a finance strategic moment uh, with us from your, your career path? Absolutely. So I mentioned earlier that my, my first job after public accounting, I was controller for Ticketmaster. And, and the, as take a master the finance function was was empowered to get involved with any aspect of the business that had an impact on the on the bottom line and we had call centers all over the united states uh what people call into order tickets or customer service i ended up developing an analysis that compared these call centers and developed key metrics to measure them all across the country so what this analysis led to uh led to some key decisions as to you know, which call centers were more effective than others, more cost-efficient, and ultimately which call centers maybe should handle more volume and which call centers maybe should not be open anymore because they were cost-prohibitive. So I was fortunate enough to learn early in my career about developing and communicating strategic insights and that they could drive improvements to the bottom line. And, you know, I always had the point of view that the CFO and finance should be viewed as a contributor to profit and not as a cost center. Now, I'm struck uh, by the idea that uh, this is a really a digital startup. And traditionally, you were not from that realm, where very often we do. We see CFOs who are sort of those high-tech startup CFOs, those SaaS, software-as-a-service CFOs. You were not from that, from that realm. As you study this business, what are you going to be paying attention to, perhaps, that uh, you hadn't as a finance leader in your past lives? Well, I think the, the really interesting part of a digital business is that there are, are so many different metrics that are tracked and reported on, and it's a different language than the metrics used for traditional business. Uh, terms such as ARPDAO, you know, you need to understand what that means. And ARPDAO is, you know, average revenue per daily active user. You know, five, ten years ago, nobody knew what, what ARPDAO exists, uh, what, what that meant, especially me. Um, so just coming in and, and understanding the levers of, of a digital business, you know, how do you get the, you know, it, it, there's a cost to delivering audience where, you know, in, in the traditional world, it might be buying TV or buying advertising. Here it's buying digital advertising to drive traffic uh, to your, your business. So figuring out the metrics on that spend versus metrics 
on the revenue side of, of or the yield of what that new audience is delivering from a revenue side, uh, and then just is there a better way to do it? You know, should you spend more money? Should you spend less money? Are there different sources of the acquisition uh, of the audience to to bring uh, to purchase from? Are there is this uh, is Lucktastic uh, is it venture backed? Kick is there money behind this, or uh, are you? Uh, part of your role as a finance leader, will you be uh, helping to secure additional funding? Uh, yes, there is uh, venture behind. Uh, yes, part of my role uh, would be to figure out um, if we do need additional capital and what the best sources are. Uh, but no, I don't really know how much I could I could talk about that other than what I just said. If I don't ask the question, people are going to say, why didn't he ask? Yeah, right, um, right. So, okay, we're now going to enter our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and mentor aspiring finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? The pace of change in the role of the CFO. I, I've got to ask for an example. <laughs> What are you, what well, are you just, it, 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 just, it just seems like, you know, back 10, 20 years ago, the CFO was kind of rele relegated to a, a back office function, and it seems more and more uh, CFOs take, take the front end of, of the business and help drive, um, you know, shareholder calls or even increase shareholder value. You know, I remember specifically, uh, you know, I don't know if it was two or three years ago when Google hired a new a new CFO uh, who came from Wall Street and she was very well respected. And I see with the stock, I don't think the business has changed, but I see what she has done from an organization and a communication standpoint. And I think that's really driven to a, a tremendous increase in shareholder value. Okay. What, what do you wish someone had told you at the start of your CFO career? And I guess that means when you first stepped into the uh, the CFO office at Publishers Clearinghouse. What is it that, that piece of information you wish you knew then? It's a tough question. I you know I think I was I was pretty prepared. I had really good uh, good mentors, and I learned a lot of the basics. I, you know, I guess the one thing, but I knew it was just kind of always be prepared. Um, you know, maybe the one thing I've learned uh, that I wish I knew is, which which I had, it was a skill I taught myself, was always try to be prepared for the questions that jump, try, try to answer the questions before they're asked, I guess is the right way to say it. So if, it's an easy one if you look at a financial statement and you're comparing numbers, whether it's a balance sheet or a, a P&L, and you know, something is going to jump out. So if it's going to jump out to me as a CFO, it's going to jump out to a to a shareholder or a board member. So don't wait for the question. Provide that that answer before it's asked. Now, do you have a personal habit that you believe has contributed to your professional success? <laughs> yeah, you're going to think it's probably kind of strange, um, but I, I learned this from my first boss at, at Ticketmaster. I keep my desk clean. 
there is never anything on my desk when I come in in the morning, and there's never anything on my desk when I leave. And if I'm working on something and it's out, some kind of folder, some papers, doing some research, as soon as I'm done with that, I put it away. It's just, to me, organization is the key to success. Okay. Do you have a book you'd like to recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Yeah, I think if, uh, if if you're looking for a book outside the realm of, of finance, I really uh, always go back to one of my all-time favorites, which is by Dostoevsky called Crime and Punishment, which that book to me just is just a standout out of all the books I read. Really? <laughs> Dostoevsky. We haven't had him uh, mentioned before. I don't think that would necessarily surprise you. But what does this... Uh, reveal about you do you think diversification <laughs> most people wouldn't wouldn't meet me or you know think of a cfo as reading dostoevsky and you know i like his other book like that um but yeah he's one of my favorite authors not not many cfos will cite uh, russian novelists Thought Leader listeners, one word, Dostoyevsky. All you need to know, Dostoyevsky. No, actually, please stick with us. I'm going to ask Rick for his 12-month finance leader priorities, but I also have two pushback questions for Rick. I felt I needed to ask him more about how he operates because, sure, every finance leader says they're strategic, but how do you obtain sort of that wider berth that affords you the space to demonstrate strategic value. That's what I wanted to know how Rick achieved that. So please stick around and hear Rick's responses to my questions and find out about his finance leader priorities right after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. When you were at uh, Publishers Clearinghouse or earlier in your career, did you sort of, like a controller, too many controllers get trapped in their office and don't meet the salespeople and were you someone who who found it easy to uh sort of connect with other people within the organization you you sort of suggested that that was the case but i'm wondering if if uh i don't know what it was maybe you played softball on the on the with the sales teams was there anything else you could share with us that demonstrates or underscores how you were able to not be that person behind the door in an office Yeah, I think I've always just, you know, I'm a student of of people. So I watched when I was a Ticketmaster, 
how they would bring in senior people regardless of how impressive their background was and how invariably these people would just always fail. And they always failed because they tried to bring their point of view, their perspective into the organization without first learning about the organization's point of view and perspective and how, what, what made it successful. So by the time I got to be CFO at, at Polish's Clearinghouse and even as controller, I realized it wasn't about me. You know, the way I was going to be successful was going to be as if my counterparts were successful. So I always would just be there to be a service provider to them. It was, I just explained my role was that my role was to help them help themselves. So if it was a salesperson, you know, my first question was, how can I help you? How can I help my department help you? What can we do? How can we work together? And it's just a non-threatening way to, to do business. I never knocked on the door as, you know, Rick the CFO. I knocked on the door as just Rick. Well, what you underscored is interesting, I think, because hiring is a sure way to screw up a company sometimes. And wondering, when you hired, did you, uh, learning from sort of the experiences you had observed, did you uh, look for that cultural fit? Did you, uh, it's hard to do from everything I've heard and asked other executives about, but that hiring can be so daunting sometimes. Uh, I mean, is there anything you took away from seeing what sometimes a hiring misfire, uh, how to avoid it? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think the the culture aspect is really important, and regardless of the position that I hire that reported into me and my department, I would always ask the hiring person. Let's say it was the controller hiring a staff accountant. My proverb, my my theoretical question was, who is this person going to have lunch with? And it didn't mean really who is this person going to lunch with every day, but who is this person going to relate to in the company? Who is this person on a Monday morning going to talk to about, whether it's Game of Thrones or the Jet game or the Met game or something else? So I think culture is important uh, ing ingredient, especially because you spend so much time at work, you need those social connections. You can't just hire somebody because you think they're going to be great if they're not going to be able to interact with others in the organization. Okay. Rick, thank you for allowing me to add. Uh, you've, got, you've had two bonus questions here that were not necessarily planned. So we're up to our final question, which is, over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? Oh, there's so many. Uh, I think my first, my first priority uh, was to kind of get up to date and up to speed because my predecessor left uh, at the end of June and I started in the middle of July. So we had two weeks with no uh, accounting leadership. So just my first month has been spent kind of catching up, teaching myself QuickBooks, teaching myself Google Sheets and, and how do you use, go from you know Microsoft World to, to Google World in terms of business documents. Uh, and now it's time to uh, start moving forward and like I said before I was going to try to get a firm handle on the metrics and what we could do to drive the business so I'm going to be hiring a, a staff account we're going to be evaluating accounting software packages uh, I suggested today we have an off-site to set the strategy for the 2018 plan so it's going to be busy <laughs>
you. It's Jack Sweeney with a quick note that CFO Thought Leader now has a quarterly print magazine. That's right, print. Each issue will profile 25 different CFOs. Let me repeat that, 25 CFOs. Other uh, print publications are lucky if they're able to bring you five CFOs per issue. What we understand is that you want to consume content in multiple ways. But wait a minute, there's something more here. We wanted this print magazine to be a podcast companion. So when you receive it, we want you to quickly thumb through it and maybe identify which episodes you have missed. We want you to dog ear those pages, as well as uh, perhaps the pages that feature CFOs from episodes you already listened to but found maybe a little extra value from. 12 months later, you will have a library of 100 CFO profiles highlighted with your insights or comments alongside the CFO thought leaders. Now, how much are we charging for this one-of-a-kind 100 CFO profile library? Annual subscriptions are $119. We think that's reasonable. We thought about it a little bit, but that's, that's what we came up with. Uh, visit us and subscribe to CFO Thought Leader magazine at cfothoughtleader.com, where the future of finance is listening.